Hey folks, Jeff Salzman here and welcome to The Daily Evolver. My guest today is integral philosopher and my good buddy, Steve McIntosh, who's here to talk about his new book, which is coming out at the beginning of March. It's called Developmental Politics, How America Can Grow Into a Better Version of Itself. I've read it, it's fabulous, and I'm excited by it because I think it offers a truly integral map and one that's really filled out well, uh, that'll help us navigate and move beyond these current culture wars. So welcome, Steve McIntosh. Thank you, Jeff. It's a pleasure to be with you as always. Yes. So why don't we start with an overview of developmental politics and uh, just, you know, what's the book about? Well, the book is in some ways summarized by the subtitle, How America Can Grow Into a Better Version of, our, of Ourselves or Itself. Um, the current problem we face is that our politics are badly broken. And this uh, hyperpolarization, this uh, kind of gridlock of our uh, electoral system, as I argue, has resulted in the rise of Trumpism. The complication, however, is that this, the polarization has resulted from our own growth, from our own rapid development as a society over the last 50 years. And so we've become stretched out culturally to the point where there's really no common ground. There's no longer a viable political center. And that's because cultural uh, evolution is really the, the, the cause of the problem for good and bad. And, and so the, the, the right approach to hyperpolarization and our dysfunctional democracy is to grow further, is to effectively develop into a, a more mature level of our, our society. But the book is not an idealistic call to something that's, that's not politically feasible. Uh, indeed, throughout the book, uh, I outline a pragmatic program for uh, cultural maturation that doesn't involve changing people's values. We're not, we're not just trying to make everyone progressive. The idea is to expand the scope of what people can value, right? That is, wherever you are on the political spectrum, it's possible to, to, on your own cultural terms, become more sympathetic to the values of your opponents. And that leads to a whole practice of, of values integration. But the, the bottom line is that our political problems are arising upstream from, uh, 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 from that is, the political problems we have are arising upstream at a cultural level. So we need a cultural approach to politics, a new politics of culture, as I, as I explain. And the key component of this new poli politics of culture is really what I define as cultural intelligence, right? So we've seen the rise of emotional intelligence and how important that is. Cultural intelligence is just emerging now as a way of understanding this, this expanded perspective that goes that sees through to the bedrock values where our current conflicts lie. Cultural intelligence reveals that America's political dysfunction is not caused by simply the split between left and right. It's not just a matter of red states and blue states. It's actually a three-way contest between America's three major worldviews. The, the mainstream worldview of modernity, the traditional socially conservative religious worldview, and the recently emerged progressive postmodern worldview, or just progressivism for short. 
These are three major forms of culture, and although their values overlap to some degree, they're also in conflict. As a result of their emergence, their historical sequence of emergence, there are, are dialectical polarities between each one of these worldviews. And so the practice of cultural intelligence begins by understanding that each one of these worldviews has positive values that our society continues to need, and negative pathologies that we need to overcome or, or gradually prune away. So the, the first step is, is what I call teasing apart the dignities from the disasters of each worldview, seeing each worldview clearly. Right now, the partisans of each worldview can see the other worldviews primarily for their negatives. They don't appreciate the, uh, the, the actual values, the, the good elements of these worldviews of what they're trying to achieve politically, socially, and culturally. So this cultural intelligent perspective allows you to see around each worldview. You can see its upsides and its downsides. And once we can see the downsides and the upsides clearly, that allows us to distinguish the two. It allows us to see that there are positives with every worldview that our society continues to need, and indeed that, that we continue to need uh, in our own value system. So this, this idea of cultural intelligence is pragmatic because it, it gives us a practice. And the, the practice gives us a perspective that's effectively outside and above the current uh, culture war. And from that perspective, we can begin to understand that cultural intelligence itself is coming from a kind of a post-progressive perspective. That is, it does what progressive consciousness or the progressive worldview can't, and that is, it, it affirms progressive values, environmentalism, social equality, uh, you know, the diversity and inclusion. It, it recognizes all the good that progressivism is trying to do and affirms that. But at the same time, it also sees the good that modernity, the mainstream worldviews of modernity, are trying to do, as well as the, the traditional worldview. Each one of these worldviews, the values are interdependent. They form a kind of an internal cultural ecosystem. And in order for us to continue to evolve and mature as a society, we're going to need all these, these positive values online and functioning. So the second step of cultural intelligence, once we've teased apart the dignities from the disasters of each of these worldviews, the next step involves recognizing how the, the polarities that divide these cultural structures are, in a sense, th th there's an opportunity to turn those divisions into bridges not that we're going to try, try to kludge all the values together in one simplistic both-and uh, uh, you know, program, because that would, that would eliminate the tension, the challenge that each worldview has to the other. And it's these tensions or polarities that, in a sense, are, are responsible for, for shaping and charging the values of each one of these worldviews. So we, we need to preserve the conflicts, but preserve them in a way that that creates a deliberative container of challenge and support so that there can be an acknowledgement of the interdependency of the values across these major worldviews, while at the same time, uh, a firm rejection of the pathologies of each. So Steve, could you give us, um, you talk about the dignities versus the disasters, and you talked a bit about the uh, progressive, but uh, what are the dignities and disasters of modernity and traditionalism? Sure. Well, modernist values include the rights of man as they were first originated in the Enlightenment, right? All the liberal freedoms that are uh, enshrined in our Constitution, these liberty values, if you will, are really the foundation of modernity 
and uh, the, the kind of in, in some ways responsible for all the material progress that modernism has made over the last 300 years. Uh, modernist values include um, scientific and technological progress. They inc include democracy and, and the, the sovereignty of the individual. Right? There's, there's many elements of modernity that we kind of take for granted because they've been achieved in, in a robust way. But these values are fragile, and unless we continue to affirm them, they can be undermined. Likewise, the values of traditionalism include the positive values of, of uh, decency and honesty and fair play and respect for family and country. You know, even though these values of traditionalism are accompanied by ugly pathologies like racism and sexism and homophobia and authoritative tendencies, the positive values of traditionalism are really they're, they're the, our cultural heritage and, and they serve as, as kind of the social capital upon which the values of modernity, the liberty values of modernity were built. But just like traditionalism has negatives, modernity also has negatives, right? Global warming and environmental degradation is an externality of modernity that modernity itself is not capable of addressing, right? Gross income inequality has resulted from the prosperity that modernity achieves. We have nuclear proliferation, crony capitalism. There's many elements of modernity that mean that it's not the end of history. We can't just rest there. Modernity, for all its gifts and all of its very important cultural evolution, is also culturally unsustainable, right? Not only because of its uh, environmental degradation, but also because it's, it's sort of pulled, being pulled apart at the moment between these two moral systems, right? The moral system of traditionalism, which supplied the morality of modernity, you know, in kind of partnership in a truce with it. And then the newly emerging moral system of progressivism, which is based on a kind of a, a, a communitarian ethos of sensitivity, right? That is progressive values bring a new level of care, a, a new concern for the environment, a new concern for the marginalized and exploited. And, and it's through this new level of care that we can become a more moral civilization. So we not only need... I, I often think of like the, the funniest thing after the calamity of human history is right. that the latest development is that we become nice. <laughs> well, progressivism's not just, you know, there are nice sides, but there are some very not nice sides of progressivism. You know, progressivism originally gained traction, right? Emerging in the 60s, maturing over the past few decades. Uh, into a cultural worldview of its own. It kind of stands in antithesis to the rest of the society. It rejects much of what modernity has accomplished. It sees much of traditionalism only for its downsides. It sees traditional culture as in some ways despicable. Right? And so the threatening elements of progressivism is that it can undermine the best of what we've achieved previously you know, by undermining those positive values of these previous accomplishments from within. Right? So, Progressivism's pathologies include uh, anti-modernism, right? Reverse patriotism, um, self-righteous scolding, tyrannical demands for immediate reform. It's those pathologies, which are clearly visible, right, to modernists and traditionalists, that are partially responsible for the rise of Trumpism, right? So even though we may, even if we defeat Trump in November, unless we deal with the cultural forces that led to Trumpism, we're not going to be able to overcome the hyperpolarization that threatens. Our republic. And you're saying that the solution is more actually more development. We move into an integral consciousness that is able to contain the best of the previous stages. Right. The, 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 the sort of the, the 
knee-jerk reaction that most people have when faced with hyperpolarization is the admonition that we just need to meet in the middle and compromise for the greater good of, of the society. And that's certainly good where you can get it. But because modernity itself has been stretched out through this tug of war between post-modernity and pre-modernity, then this idea of meeting in the middle would in, in a sense be regressive, right? That, it, that modernity can no longer contain the cultural growth, the, the differentiation that has been achieved over the last 50 years. And that's why the next step involves going from the antithesis of postmodernism to progressive, progressivism to a more synthetic political position that can carry forward the best while pruning away the worst of all three of these major uh, worldviews, right? And so that leads to a practice or a method, which I outline in the book, called values integration. And values integration involves working with uh, polarity theory or polarity management to bridge and separate, to challenge and support. In other words, the, the positive structures, the positive values of each one of these worldviews are in fact interdependent because modernity borrows the social capital of traditionalism. Postmodernity relies on the freedom and prosperity created by modernity, and modernity and traditionalism rely on the new level of care of progressivism to address the unsustainability of modernity you know, by itself as a globalizing civilization. So these values are interdependent, and, and recognizing the, val the interdependencies then allows us to begin to integrate, integrate the values from across the spectrum in a way that transcends and includes, right? That's what the synthesis looks like, right? You know, but as Hegel understood, the synthesis is a negation of the negation. That is, that is post-modernity's rejection of the rest of, of what uh, America has achieved, right? It's anti-modernism, reverse patriotism that I spoke of. That that's an, that's an important negation. It kind of breaks the spell of modernity. But now we need to go further and negate the negation, at least partially, so that we can re-include modernity and traditionalism into, into a more uh, inclusive society. We need to become even more progressive than what passes for progressivism today by extending those values of diversity and inclusion to include modernity and traditionalism and, and the, the millions of people of good sense and good faith who can see postmodernism only for its threats, right? Those threats are not all wrong. So a, a, an example of what values integration looks like uh, can be seen in the case of, of gay marriage, right? So gay marriage has succeeded uh, uh, politically, it's succeeded legally, and it's it succeeded culturally in that many who were polarized against uh, marriage equality now assent to it and recognize that it's something that they don't have to oppose. I mean, even though there's certainly some you know hardcore evangelicals who will continue to oppose it, gay marriage has been successful in the Let's face. Let's remember that Barack Obama opposed it in two thousand and eight. Right. That retrograde. Right. Right. Well, and that's testimony to the rapidity of its advance. Unbelievable. Right? I mean, I'm a gay guy. I, I, 20 years ago, I didn't even care. I didn't think it was on the radar. I didn't think it was possible. And now here we are. Yes, here we are. Well, and so even though it may not have been done consciously, the, the fact that by dint of its very rightness, right, marriage equality as an issue, part of the reason that it succeeded, or perhaps the major reason it succeeded, is that it integrated values from across the spectrum of America, right? So of course it integrated postmodern uh, caring values, caring about people who've been gay people, who've been vilified by our society. It advances uh, 
sort of modernist liberty values because you know people should have the right to marry. The government shouldn't be in the business of saying who can get married and who can't, right? And crucially, the cause of gay marriage advances traditional family values, right? Even though traditional interests may not be included in the right for gays to marry, but the fact that the, the basic commitment around a family, that that's, a, that's the carrying forward of a key traditional value. And that's why you know, marriage equality was able to succeed. You know, another example is the legalization of marijuana. It integrates values from across the spectrum. And in the book, I talk about other issues like immigration and global warming. For marijuana, it would be so progressives to want to get high. Uh, well, modernists want to be free. And traditionalists want... What do they get out of marijuana? Well, they get the, the it, it forwards the traditional value of, of federalism or subsidiarity, where that local populations should be in control, that we shouldn't have the federal government making decisions that should be made locally, right? So it, it's a matter of, you know, from a, from a libertarian perspective, the legalization of marijuana is, is a basic liberty, right? That the government shouldn't be in the business of, of basically imposing what is outmoded morality, thinking that smoking pot is bad, right? Um, so there's, there's liberty, there's local uh, political authority, and then there's, of course, you know, the, the liberal and progressive values of, of caring, of, of healing people with a, with a medicine that they should have access to. So again, pot effectively integrates values, and then there are, there are other values like immigration and global warming I mentioned that are stuck, they're caught in the, uh, the the polarization vortex, if you will, in a way that, that they can't agree. And again, if centrism was viable, we might be able to craft centrist policy positions regarding these issues. Uh, but because the the larger cultural threats are are pushing one side away from the other, right? That is, the the people on, who are voting for Trump certainly some of them are deplorables, but millions of them are people of good sense and good faith. Who, are, who, who see Trump as their cultural bodyguard, right? They see progressivism as essentially destroying or, or, or undermining or, or dissolving many of the values that they hold dear. And so to fight back against progressivism, they feel like they need a tough guy. Now, obviously, I think it's a mistake uh, to put make Trump as the president. You know, obviously, he's, he's a scourge on our society. But I would say he's a symptom of polarization, and although he's certainly exacerbated it, uh, uh, you know the 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 concerns of his voters are something that uh, that progressives themselves need to better understand. Right? They need to increase their own cultural intelligence. And I think we understand that we need to understand it. I mean, that I think that's new, and I think this sort of uh, appreciation of polarity itself. The fact that we hate each other right. <laughs> and we fear each other. I mean, right. it's, you know, these, it's really arises in all these painful ways. Yeah. Uh, and there are a lot of books uh, coming out on this topic. And I think developmental politics is coming out at a really great time. Uh, so how, how does developmental politics, uh, think of Ezra Klein's book and a couple others, how does it fit into that? Sure. Well, two books on polarization that have just been released, uh, one on the left and one on the right, that have gotten a lot of um, attention from the commentariat. Uh, the first is Ezra Klein, right, the founder of Vox Media. His book's called Why We're Polarized, right? And he has a, a lot of social science and he does a lot of important research. 
And he reaches the conclusion that um, the primary reason for polarization is that through demographic change, as white people in America are becoming um, a part of a plurality, right? They're no longer in the majority. That this has created a, a fear of racial displacement, right? Which has caused uh, uh, people, white people, especially in the South, to vote for Trump. And that basically the explanation of Trump is racism. And while uh, that's certainly part of the, the problem, I mean, you know, he's not all wrong in that, that's partially true. But I think that it's a kind of a materialistic explanation that ignores the cultural threat of progressivism, right? The millions of people of good sense and good faith, not the racists, but the other millions who voted for Trump, I would argue that they're, they're not voting for Trump because they're, they're worried about being displaced by black and brown people. They're voting for Trump because they see progressivism as undermining Western civilization, right? Again, this, this cultural threat of anti-modernism and reverse patriotism threatens them at the level of identity, right? And so this threat is something that is um, that's deep rooted and felt at an existential gut level, and and this this threat is something that progressives seem to be blind to, right? So they come up with other narratives like they're all racists, right? And again, partially true, but but not uh, an adequate explanation. The other uh, book that's receiving a lot of attention is from the right, Christopher Caldwell's book called The Age of Entitlement. And Caldwell argues that uh, polarization has been caused by the, uh, a, the rising of a new constitutional focus in American politics that is up until the 60s, the primary constitutional focus of law and policy in America were citizens seeking liberty, individual citizens. And since the 60s, there's been the rise of a new kind of constitutional focus, which he characterizes as groups seeking rights, right? So the, the age of entitlement is, is hence the title. And I would argue that, again, that's partially true as well, but, but this, this movement for greater identity and greater group rights is a, a subset or a, a, a symptom of the larger rise of, of the, this progressive postmodern worldview in general, right? And, and it's the, the cultural emergence of postmodernism, which brings about the rights for those who've been marginalized. It brings about civil rights. That's a very important achievement of postmodernism, and it doesn't go against the grain of what America is all about. Indeed, it's an important maturation of American culture. But again, the, the, the progressivism gained traction as a cultural structure, as a worldview, as a political position by pushing off against the growing problems of modernity. And now we have an opportunity to do in some ways the same thing, to, to, <clears throat> to push off against the rejectionism of progressivism, right? Carrying forward the best, pruning away the worst, and, and, and by staking out a new political perspective or position or even a new worldview that's effectively post-progressive, right? And so that's what that's where developmental politics is different from both the the progressive narrative about what's causing polarization and the many of the conservative narratives of, of the cause. It, and it, it creates a sort of a larger container wherein uh, we can begin to reclaim our collective we in a way that doesn't eliminate uh, the, the, the important challenges of one worldview to the next. We become really inclusive. Right, right, even more Actually inclusive. inclusive. Yes. Yeah, and I love, uh, I really resonate with the idea of post-progressive. Because I can't really see myself, call myself progressive anymore when you consider the whole realm of what that means. But post-progressive, that's interesting. I think there's a sweet spot in the culture for that. I also 
like cultural intelligence. I think that's a really nice way of thinking about integral sensibility uh, that people can work with and, right. um, and, 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 get, and get excited about. So Sure. Cultural intelligence is, of course, a synonym for integral consciousness, but perhaps one that's, that's less intimidating or, or foreign sounding, right? Uh, and the idea of post-progressive, it's, it's, it's subtle but important. It needs to be expressed that we're not against the progressives. We're not like Jordan Peterson in the sense that we just see the, the downside of progressivism. We affirm progressive values, that is, those of us who are post-progressive, like you and me, uh, and we understand how important progressivism is, right? So we're, we're, we're doing our best to transcend it, but also include it. You know, we carry forward the new layer of care that it's brought to our society. Right on. So I love your attempts here, and I think good ones, to make this palatable to the cultural intelligentsia and to get it out there. Right. And one of uh, the things that you've done that I think is really great is a little five-minute video a la Prager University. Uh, and it's, uh, what do you call it? It's called Developmental Politics Simplified in Five Minutes. So tell us about that. Sure. Well, again, the, the book is, uh, it, there's really two parts. Part one is about uh, the, this new cultural approach to politics, and it, it's accessible and pragmatic and um, you know, hopefully politically uh, meaningful. The second part is more intellectual. It's, it's uh, titled Toward a New Political Philosophy of Purpose and Progress, right? And in that section, I talk about how we can transcend our current hyperpolarization by uh, creating a more inclusive American dream, right? One that's both transcendent and inclusive. Um, but a big challenge in, in, a, in an intellectual book like this is, of course, making it uh, accessible, making it popular. And uh, there's been recently an interesting development in the realm of political rhetoric, right? Prager University, right? Dennis Prager, he's very right wing but he's motivated by what he sees as a threat of post-modernity or progressivism like Jordan Peterson. And he's created this nonprofit which puts out these highly polished five-minute videos that explain complex political ideas with an extremely right-wing bias, right? So I don't agree with Prager. I certainly can't go with him on all of his right-wing uh, right propaganda. But I do admire the fact that he's created this new form, and it's millions of people are watching it, right? The, the New York Times have to admit that this is gaining traction, right? And for those of your listeners who are familiar with Jordan Peterson, who I mentioned, he his latest video on Prager University, five minute, you know, it's a 700 word polished script with animatronics and infographics. Uh, Peterson's latest video is called uh, Dangerous People Are Teaching Your Kids. Right? So he's railing against what he calls the cultural Marxism of academia, right? And again, he's not all wrong, but it's very, in, in the Prager style, it's very black and white. But with a tip of the hat to the effectiveness of this new rhetorical form, I decided to create my own Prager U-style video without the right-wing bias as a way of explaining cultural intelligence and what it means to be post-progressive and how uh, uh, integral politics or developmental politics uh, is, is an exciting new development that people can embrace as a way of becoming the change they want to see by depolarizing themselves uh, in a way that helps depolarize the larger, uh, the larger society. 
And so the video's on YouTube. I think it turned out pretty well. I used the goofy uh, infographics, uh, but, um, but I think it's digestible. Of course, it's oversimplified, right? That, that is, Einstein's famous for saying that everything should be made as simple as possible, but no simpler, right? And I've certainly flirted with oversimplifying over what the message is, but if, if those who are more versed in this um, integral perspective and who are more intellectually discerning, when they watch this video, I would just invite them to appreciate that I, I am, I admit that I'm oversimplifying it, but I'm trying to present it in a way that can be accessible to the ordinary person and that the more nuanced explanation of the ideas are, are in the book itself. Yeah. Well, people need an on-ramp, so right. know, here, here. Right. I mean, the aha moment of cultural intelligence comes when we see how it's not just a matter of how the progressives need to recognize the legitimacy of the modernists and the traditionalists and the traditionalists need to be stop being freaked out over the progressives. It's that when we recognize how all of these values are deeply in, ingrained important American values that every American can really embrace effectively, that, that when, when we expand the scope of what we're able to value, it literally raises our consciousness in a way that, that restores our faith in progress, right? And gives us hope uh, that the political dysfunction that we see in polarization and that the, um, you know, the, the negative of, of Trump's presidency is something that we can be optimistic about overcoming in, in the years ahead. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you and I were talking a few days ago and you talked about that uh, this integral consciousness, this cultural intelligence, is feels like you're playing a chord instead of just individual notes. Right, right. These these cultural structures, right? They're they're systems of values. They're sort of intersubjective. They're they're in people's minds, but they're also between people in in the larger society. And these cultural structures they supervene into people's minds, right? In other words, some people exemplify them perfectly. Other people. Uh, are able to make meaning using different worldviews in different circumstances. Like they might be traditionalists on Sunday and modernists on Monday. And so if we see these cultural structures as sounding in people's consciousness as, as chords, right, several notes at a time rather than single notes, this helps to appreciate how these are types of consciousness within people, right? But they, that they're not just contrived categories to analyze culture, they're, they're emergent systems of cultural evolution that persist across multiple generations and have a kind of systemic life of their own. And so by having a more sophisticated understanding of how these, these basic units of culture, right, these cultural structures are in this process of being stretched out and differentiating, and that, that has certainly roiled our society in neg many negative ways, but it's also a precursor to the potential for a greater level of integration, right? That's how evolution works at every level, differentiation followed by integration. Now, of course, this differentiation, this stretching out of our culture may presage regression, right? I mean, there's no, there's no guarantee that we're on some kind of upward escalator to the good. But uh, if we can see the potentials uh, that are hidden within this political crisis, then we can use this opportunity that the pressure, right, the, the, the problematic life conditions are creating the, um, uh, the conditions wherein it's possible that, a, that a, a new level of culture can emerge, right? Not for everyone, but, but even if it's, if it's just um, a, a politically significant uh, group of people 
who begin to adopt this perspective of cultural intelligence and identify themselves as post-progressive, right, transcending and including all three worldviews, um, that could uh, that could result in, in some significant political developments, um, both culturally and um, you know in our uh, electoral situation. Yeah, I mean, I wish we had a candidate who was talking like this. Well, you know, candidates have to lead and follow, right? They can't get too far out ahead, right? I think I think Mayor Pete talks like this. Uh, I think he gets it more than any of the others that I am resonating with. I certainly would be happy uh, to vote for Pete Buttigieg over uh, Donald Trump. Um, you know, I'm not uh, endorsing a, a Democratic candidate at the moment. Um, I do think we need to overcome Trump. But more importantly, I think we need to overcome the forces of polarization that, that brought us Trumpism, right? And, and uh, that doesn't just mean crushing the opposition. It means recognizing that they have things we need and that, indeed, we need to include them uh, in, in, a, in a larger uh, progressive society. Well, very cool. So, okay, so developmental politics is coming out at the beginning of March. You can pre-order it on Amazon now, developmental politics. That's right. Hold up the book. We want to hold it up right there. Looks great. Jasper Johns on the cover. Yeah, it's the three flags, a famous painting by Jasper Johns. It's in the Guggenheim. Recognizes one of the 50 greatest American paintings. And the three canvases, the, the, the painting of the American flag with three canvases you know, glued on each other, is of course uh, symbolic of the three major worldviews that are that are vying for control of American society at the moment. Yeah, fabulous. So I'd love to have you on. I I feel like you're launching a campaign here, Steve. You know, you're doing all your promotion. promotion. You're doing uh, launching the book, that five minute video, which I will link to. I actually encourage you to um, listeners and and viewers to send it to people and to join this campaign because. I have to say, you know, I I've sort of was a sounding board as you were thinking this through and writing it. And I think it hits the bullseye, Steve. I, I really feel like the culture needs it. And I'm really excited. And, and I want to help however I can, which includes inviting you back to unpack some more of these ideas. Um, so uh, sure, I'd love to do that. I'd love to talk about some of the more philosophical points in the book, right, that are not part of the political campaign per se, but which are important, right? The idea that uh, that political will has a lot to do with with uh, the sort of the magnetic energy of values, right? That that is this sense of transcendence, the sense of something greater than ourselves, is crucial for the formation of political will. And if we can come to understand the energetic properties of value, these, the magnetic pull of values, and how each one of these worldviews is being pulled by its own connection with transcendence, with, with some transcendent you know, object that's greater than, than uh, personal self-interest, recognizing how all three forms of, of transcendence can be integrated into a larger American dream, right? one that can transcend and include. So this, the, the, the philosophical unpacking of, of the meaning of the good Right, how the beautiful, the true, and the good are actually directions of evolution. Right, how values are connected to the virtues, and how uh, this is virtue practice or character development is an important part of the program of developmental politics. Right, and how reclaiming our our faith in progress. Right, not just scientific or technological or economic progress, not just progress in GDP as conceived of by modernity, 
but a, a, a notion of progress that transcends modernity's value horizons by sort of connecting our, our uh, cultural and political progress to the larger progress of, of evolution as a whole in the universe, right? That is, evolution itself has been going beyond for 13 billion years, and in some ways it's pointing in the direction of transcendence. And so when we recognize that we're agents of evolution, and we can uh, uh, evolve our culture in meaningful, pragmatic ways, it restores our faith in progress and, and gives us really a new American dream that can unite us. Right on. Yeah. Well, I sure love reclaiming our faith in progress. And I really like character development. And I would also refer uh, our listeners and viewers to an episode we did a few months back based on um, a character development exercise that you put in the book. Uh, and the, the episode is titled The Path of Virtue. And it feels like there's a new path arising here. And uh, you're really helping to bring it into focus for me and I think for many others. So this has got to be, and if it's true, it's, it can be practiced, right? And so this isn't just furniture for your mind or idle philosophical speculation. I try to provide practices. Developmental, pro, developmental politics is full of practices, right? The practice of values integration, right? The practice of, of implementing polarity theory to, to recognize interdependencies and values. Uh, the practice of virtues and character development, as, as exemplified by the uh, exercise, the online exercise of created that we talked about, and indeed the practice of cultural intelligence itself, which is this new opportunity for growth uh, that each of us has, uh, and that's an exciting emergence in this time in history. Well, it's made me a better person, Steve. That was the subhead to the episode. It's true. <laughs> so. Thank you, Steve McIntosh, um, and uh, come back again. Thank you, Jeff. It's been a pleasure to be with you, uh, as always. With developmental politics, how America can grow into a better version of itself, uh, coming out uh, March 1st, pre-order on Amazon now. And thank you, everybody, for listening and viewing The Daily Evolver.